Welcome, everybody, to the Monthly Movie Dispatch, the show where we get together every month and talk about what we've seen and what we recommend. What separates us from the other 100,000 movie shows is that we're high school friends. We've been talking about movies for like 10 years, and we'd be doing it even if no one was listening. Uh, I'm Nick Moffat. I'm here in Marysville, Washington. Uh, we've got Derek Deal in Everett, Washington. Hi. Sean Bowlby in Seattle, Washington. Hello. And Brandon Bowlby all the way in New York City. Hello. How's it going, guys? Well, going, going good. Pretty good. Good. Hey, well, uh, let's start with some warm-up questions really quick. I've got uh, some warm-up questions that are tentatively based uh, around the movies that we're going to be talking about uh, this episode. So, uh, first one, Stanley, Stanley Kubrick. Which do you prefer, 2001 Space Odyssey or The Shining? 2001 Space Odyssey. 2001. The Shining? <laughs> That's the only one that Derek's seen. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah, I've seen two now. I actually have seen 2001 Space Odyssey. I just don't remember it at all. I feel like you are in the same place with The Shining on that one too, right? Like you no, I have, I have rewatched. I remember that viewing. And- I have rewatched The Shining. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Where are you at, um, Nick? Uh, you know, I'm day to day. I probably would go 2001. It's hard because I feel like 2001 is my literal favorite sci-fi movie. And I feel like the shiny is literally my favorite horror movie. Yeah. So you're all about it, that shining. Yeah. It's really tough. Uh, Wes Craven. Question number two, scream or nightmare on Elm street. I'm, I've never seen Nightmare on Elm Street, so Scream. Okay. Uh, Derek? I said Scream. Oh, you said Scream? I've not seen either. I've now only seen one Wes Craven. Scream is so fun, Sean. You never saw Scream in high school? I saw Scary Movie. Does that count? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Um, It, like, quarter counts. (laughs) Yeah. Um... Okay, and uh, I uh, I was uh, stuck on yours, Brandon, because um, just go it's for a foreign it. film. No, so you know I, the two I, movies. No, no, because <laughs> what do you want me to ask? Girlhood or the Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Yeah, I'll just ask. I'll just ask you oh, because I think and, you're the only one. Other than me too. Yeah, let's uh, do it. I guess. Okay. okay. So you're just girlhood, girlhood or, or boyhood. Girlhood or Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Uh, girlhood. Yeah. I go Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <gasps> Ooh. Yeah. Drama. How dare you? Drama. Controversial. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like Brand's choice is more controversial. I feel like, generally speaking, <laughs> yeah. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is a little more acclaimed. But we'll get there. It's definitely there. more acclaimed. We'll get there. Um Anyway, so let's uh, we have we've got some movies to talk about today. Uh, we're still in the middle of uh, the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, movie theaters are supposed to be opening soon, but uh, all the movies keep getting delayed. So we're still in the middle of this pandemic. So uh, you know, theaters want to open, and like even AMC and Regal have said, like, hey, we're opening in June. But there haven't been any movies to come out. And Tenant was supposed to come out uh, mid-July. 
and then it was and then it was delayed to July 31st, and now it's coming out uh, mid-August. So at this point, it's like we'll see if it hits there, and um, you know we're still uh, we're still like in the middle of this thing where there aren't that many movies coming out. So again, this month we all picked a movie to make each other watch, and uh, I'm loving it. I'm really excited to talk about these movies, but. Uh, there were a couple movies that came right onto streaming services that uh, we were able to watch from home for 2020. And um, I watched a few. Um, Brandon, have you seen any 2020 movies? I saw um, King of Staten Island, uh, new Judd Apatow film, and Five Bloods, I believe, are my two big ones. Totally. Um um, yeah, I saw the Kingston Island and the Five Bloods as well. Um, we are not going to talk about the Kingston Island because it was like, eh, whatever, nah. okay. Um, but uh, I think we'll we're, we are going to talk about the Five Bloods. So um, uh, I don't know, Brandon. I mean, Sean, Derek, have you guys seen any other twenty twenty movies other um, than those two? No, I haven't seen either of those either. So. Okay. I know I saw a few other ones, but, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I saw the portrait of a lady on fire and I'm counting that for 2020 because it didn't come to Washington until 2020. So Mm -hmm. that's going on my 2020 list. But, um, and then I saw another one called Shirley with uh, Elizabeth Moss. That was really good. But, um, I, I loved the five bloods and I, I'm really uh, eager to talk to you guys about it. Um, you know, uh, Spike Lee is uh, certainly like a little bit of a controversial filmmaker. Um, I'm just going to read the plot summary um, from Letterboxd just really quick here. Um, I didn't have it up, so just give me a second, guys. Sorry. Um, okay. The Five Bloods. Uh, four African-American Vietnamese... <laughs> Four African-American Vietnam veterans return to Vietnam. They're in search of the remains of their fallen squad leader and the promise of buried treasure. These heroes battle forces of humanity and nature while confronted by the lasting ravages of the immorality of the Vietnam War. So, um, like I said, I loved this movie. And personally, I think it's the best movie that came out in 2020 so far. Um it certainly has a lot of Spike Lee uh, mannerisms. Uh, he can be very heavy-handed with his messaging. He has some abrasive style choices that might turn some people off. Uh, and sometimes I feel like he has like telegraphed plot points. Like sometimes his stories are kind of you know, what you would expect from that story. Uh, um, but um, to me, all those things almost contradict each other to make something very unique. Uh, he's to me, he's an extremely unique filmmaker. And I feel like in the last, he was kind of in a rut for a few years and now he's got black Klansman and the five bloods back to back. And I feel like he's, he's on a roll. Like he's really hitting his stride right now. Um, this movie is bulging with ideas and themes and, uh, it explores, uh, you know, black Americans in Vietnam, which is something that, uh, I haven't seen in movies. Um, it goes through a lot of, uh, PTSD type stuff. Uh, 
Uh, Delroy Lindau's character is amazing. I feel like he's already gained Oscar buzz. Um, I feel like his character is super interesting because uh, he's a little over the top and like somewhat hard to believe because he's like so out there. But also, I could imagine a real life Vietnam vet like being exactly like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. Somehow Spike Lee is like kind of straightforward and very complex. Um, I don't think this is a perfect movie because there's, there's definitely like some problems with it with like, it is a little overstuffed with ideas. It's kind of all over the place in some ways, but I'm, I, for me, most of it worked or I didn't really care if it didn't work. I'd rather have a filmmaker like Spike Lee be like swinging hard, swinging for home runs and maybe not get the home run, but like do something very interesting in the process. And that's, that's, you know, how I felt about Define blood. So, um, I don't know. Uh, what did you think, Sean? Um, yeah. So I, I kind of agree with most of what you said. I thought the, the, the concept of this movie and the setup were fucking brilliant. Like that, just the idea of the Vietnam war vets, going back to Vietnam today uh, and kind of experiencing like a, mo- a more modern Vietnam, but where, where most people are, are, you know, kind of over it and um, they're kind of over the war and the tension between the West and, and um, you know, their, their government in that conflict. But that's all still on, you know, lying under the surface and it, it's like almost ready to creep out or pop out, um, you know, at, at any point. Um, there's a few like brilliant moments in the movie where there's like a, a big flashpoint between them being veterans and, uh, with, with the local people and actually probably the best uh, scene of the movie was the when the the merchant guy was trying to sell them a chicken on the boat, um, and the guy kind of, and um, he has kind of a PTSD moment and and kind of starts freaking out a little bit. That was that scene to me was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then there's like mm-hmm. you know them the, there's all these uh, interesting dynamics between them kind of being accused of, you know, or, or being blamed for the war where, whereas like back at home, there was this whole thing about, um, anti, uh, anti draft and, um, the black community really fighting against the war, um, because they didn't feel that it was just for them to go fight, uh, white the the white man's war uh, when they didn't have the their freedom back at home um, and so like that whole dynamic uh, playing out th- for the whole movie as well um, yeah there's that scene where uh, there was a radio DJ a Vietnamese yeah. radio DJ Hanoi who Hannah read or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and she uh, she announced the assassination of Martin Luther King mm-hmm. it was like a call to arms yeah for the black soldiers and uh, everyone got super upset and right. I mean, rightfully so, but I mean, that was a re- very real thing that was happening uh, in the sixties yeah, during the sure. Vietnam war. I mean, Muhammad Ali very famously refused to get drafted and mm-hmm. he got arrested for it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so there's like all kinds of stuff. And then I, I love the idea that, that one of them, um, you know, had had a kid that he didn't know about. And there was a whole layer of um, interesting history with that where she was, I believe, a prostitute for the South, um, for the pro-Western South. And she had seen this guy when he was a soldier, um, I assume, several times. And they kind of had a relationship. But then when the North came in and, and took Saigon, she couldn't tell anyone that her daughter was, uh, was from a, a, a GI. And, um, you know, she had to hide all that. And, and so like, there was a lot, there's, there were just, I could go on with all the interesting, um, ideas and, and interesting things that were set up in the movie from, but for me, I, I do think very little of it actually paid off for me. Um, in the end, like none of, none of the dynamics between the characters paid off. There, nothing really happened with, with that character, with the, the, the daughter, um, that didn't pay off in an interesting way. I don't think the father son stuff really paid off for me. And I, and I really didn't like the kind of four act structure that the movie went for where, you know, they, they go through this whole thing and, and you think they're, they're coming out the other side and then they, they like kind of restart this whole fourth act where then they split up and one of the groups action movie stuff. Yeah. Action movie stuff and action movie finale. So I think, I, I don't really think anything really paid off in that fourth act that in, in really any kind of meaningful way for me, but, and, especially not enough to justify adding another 45 minutes or half hour, 45 minutes to the movie. Um, yeah, that, that last part had that scene with Delroy Lindo's character walking through the woods, like talking to himself. And yeah, that was, I, mean, I thought cool. that was one of the best. I thought that was like maybe his best scene in the movie. And he was maybe the best part of this whole movie. Yeah, um, he definitely was. Um, I agree with that, but I don't, I don't see why that had to be in a fourth act, I guess is another thing. Like that scene was really cool, but I don't really feel like his character arced in a, in a complete or, or particularly interesting way. Um, and I think Brandon's even going to get into that a little bit more too, but, uh, cause we, we actually talked about it yesterday or something. Um, but yeah, uh, Overall, I did like the movie. It had a lot of really interesting ideas. Um, I actually, you know, gave it a fairly positive review um, just for this, you know, kind of the same reason you said, Nick. He's, he definitely swung for the fences. Um, it didn't quite make it there. Maybe he got a ground rule double or something. But, um, uh, you know, they, they had to settle for a field goal or, uh, you know. Uh, insert various sports yeah. analogy. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not really going to sit here and argue with you guys. I mean, and I'm sure, I'm sure Brian's going to say, uh, I, I see what he wrote in the show notes here. He just wrote two, one word twice and uh, I'll let you repeat that word. But uh, I mean, I don't know. Spike Lee is this guy who I feel like he, he doesn't adhere to, filmmaking rules and I feel 
I feel like you guys are a little more like strict on those types of things. Um, I feel like Delroy Lindo's character had basically no arc, but that's fine <laughs> because uh, I don't know that because his performance was so strong and the movie was trying to say something about his character that didn't require an arc. But um, I'll pass it over to Brandon. Uh, yeah. And I also don't want to like go too spoil at the ending, but I think everything Sean said, like I fully agree with, like I was pretty into the movie and really liked the setup and it kind of slowly rolled into messier and messier territory as it got more in the action genre and some deaths happened and these kind of like branching character interactions didn't really like pay off in interesting ways for me. Um, I don't want to go too much in detail of it, but I think one different thing that caught my attention that seemed really related to King of Staten Island that I noticed, and maybe this is kind of a Netflix thing, though I don't know if they produced this or if they just bought it later on. But I'm pretty sure they just bought it later on, honestly, okay. because so they're maybe I think this unrelated. Was supposed to go into theaters, but I could be wrong. I just in both these Netflix films I watched back to back, I really noticed like super, super lingering scenes that just like seemed self uh, self masturbatory. I guess it's like you need to cut. Like this scene needs should end right here. Why are people still repeating themselves and talking? Like and it wasn't just once, it was like you know, once every 15 minutes, I was just like, who is editing this film? And it was very, felt very much in both movies. So I thought maybe it was like a Netflix letting people have two directors like go on for too long, but maybe that's not the reason. Well, the King of Thailand wasn't Netflix. That was uh, not a Netflix movie. Oh, yeah. No. Um, oh shit. You're right. That was just a premium, theory that was just just a crushed. premium, uh, <laughs> premium at home view. Anyways, like but similarities. Um, yeah, it's just like I remember one thing when they were like found the um God, so many spoilers. When they found <laughs> the, the treasure gold, looking for the gold, the treasure in the ground midway through the movie, like their celebration went on for like six minutes. And I I couldn't believe it's hard to like describe it when you're like don't have the scene playing in front of you, but like I couldn't believe they couldn't just show them excited for like forty five seconds and move on. Um, but a ton of little things like that really got to me as well. And see, like these, these types of things, like don't bother me at all. You know, I, I'm just, I, you know, I feel like we just watch movies differently because, you know, I uh, like lingering stuff like that. I, I thought that was kind of cool because uh, you got to see them like celebrating and they did their thing where they pull their hands in the middle and they like were reunited and connected. And, um, you know, I, I like that kind of stuff and I don't know, maybe I just, maybe I just don't really care about that, but uh, I guess in it, yeah, the hand thing, and I'm just being so negative, but by the like fifth time they did it, it turned into like cringe territory for like sentimental kind of cringy for me, especially the like fourth and fifth time they spent time showing that fist bump. Um, I'm glad you liked it, Nick. I think there is like so much great setup here. Um, that's he's always a fascinating director and it's cool. He's like reaching so high and so hard with his films now. Mm. And they're getting yeah. generally positive reviews too, which is cool. Yeah. I think I'm in the minority on this. I would actually definitely shout out the rest of that cast too. Like, it was, first of all, it was really awesome to see our buddies from The Wire back together. 
Uh, <laughs> that was really oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> that was that's always fun. And he did uh, that same actor did that same thing in Black Klansman as well. <laughs> so I right. think so. You're talking about Clark Peters, yeah, who so, was uh, yeah, who plays. Um, He's one of the cops on the wire. Uh, he's Lester. And then there's, is that his name in the wire? Yeah, Lester. And then there's, uh, I think, Jonathan Mayers. No, no, I'm sorry. Jonathan Majors, Majors was in uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool seeing him. Another great movie. Yeah, roles. Like, and then Isaiah, Whit- Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he did his signature. Senator? She. Yeah. Is that from The Wire? Is is that where he, he first did that? So I saw it in. I think so. Saw it in the Black Klansman and and uh, this movie. So I wonder if. I mean, I I guess uh, Spike Lee is just a Wire fan, <laughs> a big fan of The Wire. I think. I mean, I I think I've seen him do that in other movies, okay. other than Spike Lee movies too. I think that kind of is just him. His thing it's a him thing, thing for. Huh. Um, Paul Walter Hauser also uh, was in a really small role, which was kind of funny. Um, and Jean Renault showed up too, which oh, yeah. was also surprising. It's like, oh, what's what's he doing here? And Chadwick Boseman was uh-huh. also in it. So, yeah. um, I mean, yeah, great all, cast. All four of those, uh, you know, main cast members just had fantastic chemistry together, and I just loved hanging out with them early on in the movie. Uh, so, yeah. It was pretty cool um, yeah. to see him. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think you guys are right that, um, it is, it is getting generally positive reviews. It's at 3.7 on Letterbox, which is out of five. And that's, that's pretty high. You know, that, that's pretty good. Um, it's not like top 50 of the year. Good for Letterbox, but, um, but then like, I see the people that I'm following and I feel like most of the people I follow gave it four stars, but there's a couple people that gave it like, one or two and then a bunch of my friends gave it four and a half and i gave four and a half but um like i said most of these things worked for me or the things that didn't work i was just kind of like you know the the movie's too strong in other ways for me to uh you know i want to say actually what i thought was the most like strongest thing to me about like the filming style was the not just the different aspect ratios but the way they switched between them like really looked super polished and the the editing between the still photographs are really key points actually was pretty surprisingly great like that looked so good um and i loved those parts about it too he's done that in a bunch of his movies just cutting away to like historical photos or when he cut away to the uh the the soldier that won what the medal of honor or yeah Mm -hmm. he does that kind of stuff all the time I mean, it's pretty it cool that Spike well. Lee is Spike Lee is kind of like championing Black history in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and I mean, this is kind of an ongoing conversation that's happening in our culture about how a lot of Black history isn't totally taught, and uh, I feel like Spike Lee makes a point to put history into his movies, mm-hmm. history that you might not have heard growing up. So, um, yeah, I mean. Uh, that's that's the five bloods it's available on netflix right now i highly recommend it and i i actually really think that even even though sean and brandon didn't have the best things to say i mean i feel like everyone should check it out it's 
it's everyone has Netflix. It's available for you to watch, and it's uh, it certainly is the most interesting movie that's come out this year. Mm. Um, it's, it's daring, at least. So um, let's move on to the the movies um, that we've forced each other to watch for for the month of jo- of June. Um, up first is going to be Sean's movie choice. Sean, do you want to set us up? Yeah, I picked um, the. Uh, <clears throat> Stanley Kubrick movie The Killing for you guys to watch I'll give you the quick IMDB summary uh, Crook Johnny Clay assembles a five man team to plan and execute a daring track race robbery um, yeah it's uh, written and directed by Stanley Kubrick starring uh, Sterling Hayden uh, Colleen Gray and uh, uh, Vince Edwards or not? There's uh, who, who is, who is that, that one guy that I recognize? Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Sterling Hayden. I mean, he's kind of <laughs> the main Sterling character, ha- and he's he's been in a bunch of movies. Who's, who's the? Ah, uh, uh, never mind. The guy who 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 was married to the femme fatale. Um, oh yeah. He's, he he seems familiar. Anyways. Sorry, I can't. I'm not finding him immediately. Uh, I'll move on. So, um, <laughs> I uh, I picked this movie uh, because I think not only did I I know most of you hadn't seen it, um, but I think it it's not only do I really enjoy the movie. I think it's a ton of fun. Um, it has a great look, has a great style, um, and it's just really fun and intense. But I think it also is a really interesting movie in. Uh, film history as well as Stanley Kubrick's career Um, because it it like um, uh, so like it's first of all it's one of the first uh, heist films to really bring together all the tropes of the heist genre Um, there's like one movie called Rafifi that that is uh, came out a year before it that kind of is more talked about, but this, this movie and Rafifi really brought those those tropes together um, with like creating the you know bringing together a team of specialized people, each one with their own particular role to play in the heist, um, and then like um, <clears throat> going over the plan in a dark room uh, and, and talking like laying out all the in detail all the things that they have to overcome in order to pull off the heist uh, and then like the long uh, elaborate heist being carried out in a very detailed and precise manner with things slowly starting to fall apart um, as they as the movie goes off which, on which, uh, which builds the tension of the film. Um, all of that was kind of uh, pioneered by this this film and and Rafifi um <clears throat> it also uh is a really important movie in Stanley Kubrick's career cuz it it's uh while this movie wasn't a huge success uh uh Kirk Douglas actually watched this movie and loved it and and kind of loved what Stanley Kubrick did with it uh enough to bring Stanley Kubrick onto his project Paths of Glory, which then uh, after Paths of, he worked with Stanley Kubrick on Paths of Glory. He brought him, uh, Kirk Douglas brought Stanley Kubrick 
then on to uh, Spartacus uh, a few days into production. So this was kind of the movie that really launched Stanley Kubrick's career uh, in a lot of ways. Um, it's also a, a hugely influential film, and a lot of directors have uh, you know, cited this movie as a huge influence on them. Um, notably, um, Reservoir Dogs uh, was, uh, was heavily influenced. Quentin Tarantino has said this movie heavily influenced Reservoir Dogs with it being a heist, but also like showing you know everything out of order, uh, non-chronologically, um, uh, as well as for Christopher Nolan, the way that Christopher Nolan plays with time. This movie was a huge influence on, um, on him. This to me. Yeah, I just it, want to say real quick that this was my first time seeing that Tarantino totally rips off people. You know, uh, it was like, <laughs> not that he wasn't, he was a little more than influenced. It was like, mm-hmm. there were like plot points that yeah. he had straight up like taken from this movie mm-hmm. in a good, good way. Like, I don't think it's bad. Yeah. I think it's really fine that he does well, that. That's what he does. I mean, that's pretty you guys much what you know. about, right? Um, but yeah, also like, uh, I think, and then the Joker, the, the mask that the Joker wears at the beginning of the dark Knight is, is, uh, you know, based on the mask. That, oh, uh, wow. That, uh, right. Sterling Hayden wears in this movie. Um, so yeah, this movie Hello? played a big role. It, it was also, this movie was heavily influenced by Rashomon. Uh, Stanley Kubrick had seen Rashomon and was blown away by how Rashomon plays with time and how it, uh, it, it shows the same scene several times over and over from different from the perspective of different characters. Um, so yeah, I think there's like there's a lot of really interesting history and, and stuff going on in this movie. Um, I also think it's the first time Stanley Kubrick was uh, really matured into was start really starting to mature into becoming a great filmmaker. Um, I love the way he shoots these long, uh, complex dialogue scenes with, with lots of different characters, um, you know, bouncing dialogue back and forth. And, um, you know, the way he covers a lot of his scenes in this movie in big wide masters, uh, that works really well for, that worked really well for him for the rest of his career. Um, you really get to see some of that. Uh, starting in this movie. Um, and then also I think like just as a, as a writer, he's really started to mature uh, in, in like taking those risks of telling a story out of order, out of chronological order, playing with time, playing with perspective um, and like really being able to innovate a genre. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean the, the movie also like, I just think the movie's so intense Um I, I, and the way it builds up to its ending is, is just like, <laughs> you know, you just, your heart's racing. I don't want to, I don't know if we're, we're going to get into spoilers, but spoilers like, spoilers for, a yeah, I mean, like, seven year old movie. It's so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, like, another interesting thing about this movie, uh, is, is, uh, the fact that the, um, you know, you couldn't really make a movie at this time where the bad guys or the criminals get away with it. And um, knowing that, that they had to play within that, uh, that those rules, um, it, uh, you know, 
I, I don't see this movie ending any other way. Like, it really pulled that off, um, the way the movie ended. And, uh, yeah, I just th- I think it worked really well. Um, great cast. Yeah, I, yeah. I think one of my favorite shots was the, like, two doors opening. It kind of looked like slow motion because they d- did it so, like, smoothly and kind of slowly mm-hmm. um, in sync with each other as they're coming out of the airport. Um, it was, like, such a great... Like I think second to last shot of the movie yeah. was really cool. The cops. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that I think, ending so much. <laughs> oh my gosh. Gets me so excited every, every single I've seen this movie a few times now, and like uh, each time it's like just it feels like the plan was executed so perfectly. Like like almost everything thing. goes right for most of the movie. And then like the deuce the X happens. Dog. Yeah. Yeah, well, Do sex that, like, you know, like human emotion happens that kind of screws over a bunch of the guys. And then, yeah, like Sterling Hayden, like gets so close to getting away and then just a random dog ruins oh, everything yeah. in such a glorious fashion. But first, the bag is too big to for him to carry onto the yeah. plane and then. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's just when it happens, yeah, like, it's just so heartbreaking. And you're just like you die <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I like yeah, how far I mean, it just kind of kept going and going to just this final little climax at the airport. It was really good. It definitely looks like, like he tries getting away, and it's just like he looks physically wounded, like on his way out of the airport. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, one very 50s ism, like, what the hell was up with that guy's girlfriend? The, I forget what his name is, but in her opening, like, scene with him, it was so painful to watch. Johnny Clay's girlfriend? Yeah. When she's just like, I'll do anything for you. Like, Uh just tell me what you need. So, I mean, that's another interesting thing kind of with the femme fatale char- uh, characters. Um, Complete opposite. And yeah, yeah, like, exactly. And the scenes were back to back intense. too. Yeah, because um, like in one of them, so in, in that one with the main character, uh, you know, you have this this, you know, stern, powerful, uh, you know, in control man with a a wife who's just very supportive, very kind, beautiful, um, and will just, you know, do anything for him, you know, kind of the way that uh, it's supposed to be uh, in the 50s. And then uh, you have the femme fatale character who is, she's the one who, who is, in control and she's the one who is looking to better herself and um you know take more control over her life uh and her husband is this weak you know will do anything for her even even um you know sacrifice the the high the outcome of the heist um just right. to but, you know but she, and so like, like that, he's that a person is, and she, it, but he's a real like person. She is like oh, hardly, she's like a caricature, I guess. I don't know. She's like almost nothing. She just, just has a couple like lines that don't even sound like a human would speak. Um, you know, and he's more flat. Yeah, he's pathetic. He, like, but almost he pretty much says the exact same thing she does. Like, I would do anything. You know, I'd do anything. I think he says that. I would do I anything. It's one of the differences. 
she doesn't really have a role in the movie though either she's kind of just like a, like yeah, yeah she could have just not been she's there to say those lines and it all been the exact same mm-hmm. uh, yeah when actually she came back in at the end i like kind of forgot who she was when she was just by his side at the airport but um Anyways, yeah, like, uh, I think one of the most interesting aspects of this is like, I just, I don't get to watch very many fifties films and it's awesome seeing one like this from such a like prolific director and just how like clean and kind of flawlessly executed what watching it now is such a typical heist movie is, um, just all that was like really fascinating mm-hmm. to watch and just get that history lesson or history dump on. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, um, I bought the, uh, Criterion Collection, uh, Blu-ray, uh, for, for this. Um, and, uh, on the Blu-ray, there's, uh, Stanley Kubrick's, uh, movie they made before the killing, Killer's Kiss. And that's another film noir, but that one, that one is pretty much just like by the books. Like it just, to me, it's basically like another film noir, like, you know, so many film noirs came at the time and that was just like another one and um like i don't really feel like you guys need to watch it i don't really recommend it but it's i mean it was interesting to see for like you know complete as completism to see stanley kubrick's like progression and stuff but um it's to me it also was interesting seeing how killer's kiss was like pretty ordinary and then the killing was like pretty meticulously perfect in a lot of ways like just how the pace and the different timelines and the different people and the the depth of a lot of the side characters too. Um, I wanted to point out the, a, a couple scenes that I thought were like um, specifically like deeper than they, than I thought that they would be like the scene with the sniper um, who got into that track uh, early and he kind of befriended the security guard who was a black man. And he kind of like related to him on on the level, and they kind of hit it off as a friendship. But then, uh, if the guy was kind of getting too close to him, and he kind of had business to take care of with the shooting the horse, and then uh, he kind of just was casually racist, like everyone else during that time, and um, kind of ruined the whole thing for himself. Um, which um, I'm just I'm just saying there was like so much. I, I just don't usually see that in movies, especially around that time. To cap it off, like the horseshoe was kind of his downfall. Yeah. Right. The the gift that he was being given for being so nice yeah. to um, the lot attendant, you know, was the horseshoe. And that's what blew his tire and caused him not to be able to get away from the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was kind a of a scene, cool trick of writing. A scene about just, yeah, having that, the planting that character, which we've seen in so many heist movies, you know, like the marksman character. And yet that scene just has so much going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, it was interesting. Cause I, I mean, we've talked about, I have like no reference point for Kubrick um, besides the shining and stuff, but it's always, I love God, one of my favorite things that I've discovered in, Really, I guess it started when we were going to like uh, Bellevue College and stuff. But uh, I feel like I missed out a lot on watching older movies as a kid. And I think it's a hard thing to get into for youth. You know, it's just like when you have all these spectacle 
movies that are out there. It's just harder to get into the old movies. But what I I love when you watch like a true master, like I can think of like watching Citizen Kane or like Metropolis and stuff like these movies that are the foundations of the films that we watch today, like really hold up so well. Like I guess the point I'm trying to make is like with this movie, um, it without being recommended, it would have been a hard movie for me to just jump in and watch. Mm. But like every great movie, it is so good. It just grabs you. It doesn't really matter what time period it's from. Like, um, yeah, a really good sure. movie is able to it just pulls you in no matter what it's just that's you just forget massive. instantly that it's yeah. a 50s film yeah mm-hmm. and and it's still filled with like cool visual stuff too like um so the scene that really just like like you know i'm kind of just watching it the first like 10 minutes of the movie but then there's the scene happened that i was all of a sudden i was just like pulled in i was like yes this is so freaking cool which was just the introduction of johnny clay where he's walking through his apartment it's that like tracking shot totally and he goes through like five rooms and there's like all this shit passing in front of the camera and like he's just walking and talking he's like what has happened like there's just so much happening visually in such a simple way um, it's just cool to know that 70 years ago, that's the kind of cool stuff they were inventing at the time, pretty much, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, he did, I feel like Kubrick did a lot of similar stuff like that with the scenes, like at the horse track, like mm-hmm. just like with the lockers the, in the locker room with just all the activity that was going on there. And then like at the bar, all mm-hmm. the people going in and out and, uh, with the, um, like the, the people that are doing the money, like just all the movement that was happening in the movie was so like chaotic, but also controlled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that like was natural. my favorite scene with the one in the locker room, because like there's so much going on and there's so many moving pieces and, and you feel like you're constantly jumping around. But then like when, when he, Johnny Clay goes into the locker room, it just like, it slows down for, I don't I don't remember how long that scene is, but it's like maybe a two, three minute scene of him just opening up the locker, pulling out the, the flowers. So efficiently. Opening, yeah. It just so efficient. He knows exactly what he's doing, grabs the bag, puts on the mask, loads the gun, gets the gun ready. And then like, and then it goes. And it's just like, it's, it, it's just like this perfect moment um, that was also set up really well earlier on in the movie when the guy comes in with the fl- like that all those pieces were really well laid out like with him getting the flowers and like dropping them off and the guy going to the to the locker room putting it in the locker and it's just like it's just so masterfully done and that yeah. moment just gives it so much room to breathe before it it, it like he get, goes in and and uh, you know, it's I guess kind of the climax of the of the heist. Totally. Yeah. Um, I do think we need to move on to the next movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, dude, great pick. Um, Thank you. Glad awesome you guys movie. liked it. Thumbs up all around. Yeah, guys. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so okay, we're moving on to Derek's movie choice. Derek. Yes. Um, let me pull up the synopsis. So I chose. 
1991 Wes Craven, Craven movie, The People Under the Stairs. Uh, IMDb plot synopsis is two adults in a juvenile break into a house occupied by a brother and sister and their stolen children. There, they must fight for their lives. Um, <clears throat> I chose this because I'm, I'm just a really big Wes Craven fan. I really, really just enjoy his whole filmography and I think he's an important yeah. important uh, voice in the horror genre and uh, I thought I, this movie is just so weird and uh, I don't think a lot of people have seen it and uh, yeah it's just a, a load of fun it's so ridiculous and over the top it's just it's I'd, I'd hate for people to miss watching it because it's just so ridiculous and awesome. Uh, it's I watched it years ago during my during, oh, when Wes Craven died. I did we were doing our horror movie month, and so I just did a whole week of Wes Craven movies, and I picked like some I'd heard were really good, and then just some I'd never heard of before, just to kind of get a good taste of it. And uh, this movie just always stood out because. First of all, it stars uh, Ned and Nadine from Twin I Peaks. I just realized that. I was just clicking through <laughs> the pictures. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, like, when I saw that immediately, I was just like, oh, I got to watch it. And it's Wes oh, Craven. Yeah. Was this uh, pre-Twin Peaks, too? This is in the 80s, 80s, right? During. 91. 91. So, so like, during Twin yeah, Peaks. Yeah. Whoa. So, yeah, like, uh, Nadine really, like, you know, went went downhill after she got back out of that coma or whatever <laughs> happened in season two. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it just has some weird freaking imagery in it that I just love. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, it doesn't feel like a story that's been done before. And it's, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's just so weird. It's, so the premise is, uh, like a kid, they're they're breaking in to try to find money, but like what really drives like implants this movie in my memory is those two villains and like just the imagery of um I don't know the guy Everett Everett McGill Everett McGill uh running around with a shotgun in a gimp suit in like, a gimp oh, suit oh my gosh. <laughs> So I don't, crazy. I don't know why it's happening, but it's just such an interesting like thing to be happening uh, while he's hunting down like this child and trying to mur- murder him and stuff. It's yeah. just, I don't know. It's it's hard to. It's not like a incredible movie. I don't think it's not like um, Wes Craven isn't known for his his like style uh, visually or like his. Um, I don't know. He he's known he's he's known for just making movies that are. I think it's more like the concept and the content of his movies that uh, make them as important as they are, as opposed to his actual film style or look or you well, know cinematography I- and stuff. It's. I kind of feel like with Wes Craven, he he knows movie tropes, like horror movie tropes, better than anyone. Like, yeah. I mean, you've seen that with Scream and New Nightmare. 
that like he knows how to dissect like what is supposed to happen in horror movies. And I feel like he does that really well in this movie. Like he has all these things that happen as they're supposed to happen with horror movies. But I feel like he's also, he excels at like set design. Like, I think that's where like a lot of his, like his really cool stuff comes from is like set design and like, um, character costumes and stuff too. Like what you're saying about the gimp suit, but like the house in this movie is like, amazing like it's so complicated and it's like a maze and there's all these hidden tunnels but you know even going back to like um a nightmare on elm street like that movie is i feel like that one is so visual and like yeah maybe not like the best cinematography ever but like the sets in the nightmare on elm street are like you know twisted Mm. but yeah the house is a character in this film and uh, yeah, it's one of the coolest parts about it. Like you, Derek, you were talking about his ideas, like the the like ch- kid in the walls that's just like running around terrorizing the father of the house is so brilliant. And the scenes of him like shooting the like ceiling and uh, trying to find him in the walls as he's like, I don't know making all that noise and crawling around back there. It's just really inventive and like awesome imagination. Such a weird backstory. Yeah. And they're like, he's too scared to go in there after him. Uh (laughs) And that's just the rule they years. He's just been running around. Just this insane (laughs) fictitious world that like he's created of this house. Yeah. Like I, I really, there was that scene where the, the girl that's in the house is like, Oh Yeah daddy or I can't, I can't remember what the character's name is but ever Miguel's character she's like yeah I, he doesn't like yeah, him because daddy. he's he he tried gaining away and now he just lives in the walls and it's like <laughs> yeah. yeah they just have accepted that this guy lives in the walls and uh-huh. then they have all these other scarier people that live like under the stairs and stuff but yeah I mean I mean was I wrong thinking that like a lot of this movie was like pretty pretty hilarious no like, it definitely just, was it's funny yeah I uh, I definitely was thinking about the Goonies the whole time I was watching this movie. There's like yeah, there's a ton of sure. similarities. There's like, so, you know, they're, they're going after like this hidden treasure. Uh, <clears throat> and there's like, you know, this, this family of weirdos that's after them trying to kill them. And, you know, it's, it centers around kids and this weird adventure. It's like this totally bizarre, you know, almost fun house type house that they have to like this fun house that is just beneath the normal world that they live in every day. Um, as well as like even these, uh, deformed, the, the deformed people under the stairs kind of being, almost like sloth where at first they're like really scary, um, like really scary monsters. And then it kind of turns out that they become an ally, uh, to, to the protagonists. Um, and so like, I think I, that that's mixed with, um, like completely are yeah, evil yeah, dead like, or moments. Yeah. So it's I, like children's film on top of like not yeah. a children's film. Whatsoever. It's like a, an adult horror film for kids. It's like, you know, <laughs> not holding back any punches. It's an adult horror film, but it's almost written and made as if it were the for, for kids. <laughs> it's such a bizarre, 
uh, like mix of tones and subject matter yeah. and like, uh, you know, gore and silliness that it's just like, like he, you know, he's in his gimp suit, which is, is, you know, it's a pretty adult concept, uh, <laughs> the idea of a gimp suit, but he's just like so goofy that it's almost like he's, he's performing for kids. Like it's a kid's movie or something. Yeah. Um, There's even that said. one scene when she's like strung up and yeah, you're kind of questioning it the whole time. Like she's sexually abused as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then there's like that one scene where he's in the gimp suit and he like actually grabs his crotch. Yeah. Yeah. And just right like before. super disturbing. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't know the movie would be like also go in that direction too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um, I really enjoyed it um, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, I have his yell stuck in my head, like uh, Ed Hurley, just like yelling in the gimp suit, like that, like <laughs> low, that he did, yeah, like, like stuck in my head, and like I think it's hilarious, but yeah, I mean, you totally, I mean, there's definitely parts of this movie that are really twisted. Um, well, it has some like scenes that I forgot how like chilling they are, like one. And like to the little girl's credit, like she did really good in this movie too. But there's mm-hmm. there's a scene where <laughs> I just call her Nadine. I don't know her name, but uh, she's like forcing her into the boiling hot like bathtub, mm, yeah, and she's like, oh, she's just screaming. Yeah, like she's getting like first degree burns right. in her entire body. Like, Jesus yeah. Christ, <laughs> it's yeah. really heavy. Um, yeah. Uh, there was like some uh, social commentary that um, I thought was kind of cool that Wes Craven was trying to sprinkle in there. Um, I don't think all of it like landed super, uh, you know, strongly, but I did think it was kind of cool how um, I don't know urban this movie was. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just the um, fact that I mean, it's the- starring a, a young little black kid. It was, you know, it was kind of it was pretty cool. Well, and the whole reason they're breaking into their house was because they were like. They're the uh, landlords too. Yeah, they're like real estate mongrels who were like mm-hmm. pushing all these people out of the neighborhood, and you know they were. Uh, it was rumored that they had like they're sitting on all this treasure, and they had like weird people. So they're you know the community was kind of trying to get 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 back at them. Uh, I mean, the ending was pretty funny in that way, with like all the money like flying out of the, the house mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. everyone just celebrating because money was coming down from the sky, you know. <laughs> Save their neighborhood. Oh yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. Like the the premise of the movie was like the Goonies, them going to find this treasure to try and save their family, save their home, <laughs> yeah. save the community, their their neighborhood. Yeah, it's another real estate based adventure movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But, well, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. Do you guys have anything more to add? I mean, it, it was great. I mean, I just, I, I, I also love Wes Craven. Yeah. I hope, I hope, uh, Sean, you get a chance to watch some of his other stuff. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I, I also recommend, uh, if you watch movies with Mikey has a Wes Craven, like episode that he did. Hmm. And it really, it like shines on all the things I love so much about Wes Craven. It's definitely worth like it. It'll inspire you to go watch his movies, but um, um, yeah, he's just he's one of my all time favorites. So nice, glad you guys. Yeah, I definitely need to see more of his movies for sure. Yeah, 
Um, I just did my Wes Craven ranking. Um, I just put that on Letterboxd. And um, I have Scream at number one and uh, New Nightmare and The Nightmare on Elm Street at two and three. But um, yeah, for me, The People Under Stairs is like right there with Hills of Eyes and like Scream 2. Mm. I think all three of those are like um, not as good as the top three, but they're like, they could be interchangeable of how good they are. Um, and then like last house on the left I watched earlier I watched last year for horror movie month and it was like it was very upsetting yeah but um, I think he's also got a few like straight up like bad movies like yeah uh, that I haven't seen and I know like I saw like cursed in high school it was like a werewolf movie and that mm-hmm. one was pretty bad but I mean I think for the most part like Wes Craven's like you know he's a legend for a reason like he broke a lot of ground with horror movies yeah. Have you guys seen any of his TV stuff? I'm just looking at his, uh, his at his IMDb. He did um, Nightmare Ca- Cafe and The People Next Door are a couple TV series that he was uh-uh. the creator of. Writer, creator. I haven't seen either of those. I have not. I didn't know he did TV. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Either. But um, I do think we need to move on to our next movie. Yeah, but so uh, Derek, uh, thanks for making these guys watch uh, a um, under uh, underappreciated uh, Wes Craven movie. Um, yeah. The fact that I think you said that at the beginning that a lot of people haven't seen this movie. I think I think you're right about that. It's not like one of his most well known movies, but um, you know uh, I'm glad they made you, these guys watch it. Yeah. Um, Brandon, you're next. Yeah, so my pick um, is a film, 2014 French film called Girlhood. Uh, The IMDb synopsis is, a girl with few real prospects joins a gang, reinventing herself and gaining a sense of self-confidence in the process. However, she soon finds out that this new life is not necessarily making her any happier. Uh, So this is... Uh, the first film I've seen, I saw by the French director, Selena Skyama. And she had this really kind of uh, prominent film that came out last year, Portrait Lady on Fire. Um, I know a couple of you have seen. And this film really blew me away when it came out. I think it made my top 10 list. I loved it. And it was really cool going back and revisiting it because I really freaking enjoyed it again this time as well. Um it's, I think one of the things that stands out the most on the rewatch that I kind of forgot about was the like passage of time through the movie and the way they kind of edit that together along with that like really beautiful like synth score. Um, that kind of reminded me of the samurai a little bit as well, Nick. Um, but every time the movie like hard fades to black on like an interesting cut and then comes back in maybe like a month or two like into the future and you're kind of picking up more pieces of where she is in her, you know, late teen life and the choices she's made. Um, I think that's just like one of the coolest or more unique aspects of this film that really kind of keep the momentum going of like you being on the journey with her. Uh, the movie is freaking like crisp and beautiful looking it's just like really clean and cinematic and has just like really good color and shots of like the streets and uh not suburban but outer city paris 
which just like looks really cool right up until like the final climax. There's just like so much awesome like skill involved and the way they like stitch together her just typing in, you know, the numbers to get into the apartment and then the holding on the door handle to her kind of walking away and just showing the out of focus city as she kind of walks by it. Um, there's just like so much really great craft and also like depth in, you know, what she's going through along with like what they're showing on screen. And that's kind of throughout the film as well. Um, the gang of girls and what she goes through is just like really cool to kind of like try to wrap your head around at every minute. The movie doesn't hold your hand at all. It just keeps moving forward. Doesn't tell you exactly how the lead girl is feeling at all. And doesn't really tell you everything about the situation she's in. And every scene you're kind of like trying to figure out what is going on in her life, how she like feels about it and how it's like actually affecting her good and bad. Um, you know, like the gang you see, it's bringing her some happiness and like bringing her out of her shell, but also they're kind of doing some shitty things, like not the worst stuff in the world. Like, um, they're drinking rum and Coke in a hotel and shoplifting a few articles of clothes, but it's also, you know, making her a more confident person. Um, and just these like, you know, weird positives and negatives and dynamics. And then she finds her sister doing the same thing. And, it's just like a interesting like to think about while you're watching her go through the situations because the movie doesn't tell you how to think about it. And so it kind of keeps your mind going throughout the whole movie. Um, yeah, I loved her girl yeah. gang. Like I thought that was probably my favorite part of the movie. I felt like her girl gang was like a real family and like mm-hmm. where so many other things were failing her in her life. I mean, her family wasn't the, like that supportive of her. Um, like her mom was kind of absent. Her brother was abusive and she like, she took care of her sister, but like she didn't really have too much support herself. And um, I think she first met the girls after that conversation with her teacher and her teacher like was failing her too. It was like all these things were failing her. And then she came outside and she met these people and they defended her. And yeah. it was like, for the first time ever, she had like people, people that were hers. There's some great moments with the group that I realized this time through, like the pup puck golf scene, like made me really crack out pretty hard. And the girl is just like, so argumentative. And then she ends up like getting crying at the end because she gets a hole in one. (laughs) Um, Just like, uh, there's a few other like moments that one of my really favorite liked. moments with the girls, if I could tell you, was uh-huh. when uh, the, the lead girl was like absent for some reason, and uh, and then the main character got into that fight, and then uh, she was like, then the the lead girl of the gang like came back to her, and she was like, I did this for you, I fought this girl for you, and she was like all angry, and it was like, don't tell me you did it for me because you did it for you, and in most movies it would have been like the conflict that broke up the gang or something. But instead like she gave her a big hug and Mm -hmm. I know like maybe we shouldn't be celebrating fighting between youths, but uh, you know, it was like, I thought it was a very sweet moment of like, no, they're just, they're still supporting each other. Even, even now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that scene really showed like the power of friendship, especially at that age when you're, you feel so isolated from your parents, from teacher, from, you know, you're, you're kind of starting to 
have to think about your place in society. Whereas like, you know, your friend group is just kind of accepts you and is, is supportive. Um, one, I think that uh, scene was definitely one of my favorites. I also really enjoyed the scene where uh, she, where they, they're just in the hotel getting drunk. And then it's just like a, what, a, th- a three or four minute scene where they're just dance uh, off. Yeah. Dancing yeah. and, and um, great. singing along to the song and, you know, it, everyone it cuts kind of really their friends and. It's it cuts like really, really well into that moment. song moment and like it gets super blue and like dark. Yeah. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's like a really great scene. Yeah. For real. Uh, yeah, that was really great. Um, I felt like this movie was a lot about, um, girls. I mean, it's called girlhood. And I mean, uh, I feel like the name is kind of weird just because like boyhood came around the same time. And I don't know. Um, uh, and I didn't really feel like it was like growing up, um, the same way that boyhood was, but I mean, that's just me like projecting my own like connections in my brain, but I really it doesn't translate the same in French too. It's like, uh, yeah, I feel like French. It, I was just looking at it. It's uh, bon it's de Felice. Yeah. So band well, of has Philly's a different name band. Yeah. Of, like band Maybe. of girl. I, I think girls is girls band of girls. Yeah. Like it had a different name. I feel like they marketed it as girlhood in the United States because boyhood, but oh, I'm wrong about that. Yeah. But, um, I still felt like a lot of this movie though was like, like the boys in her life, the men in her life, like kind of controlled what was happening. There are so many instances in the movie of like girls doing their thing, but then the boys showed up and they had to stop doing their thing. And it was, um, the movie was like about her taking that power for herself and um, kind of making something of her own femininity and going forward into the world. And it was a very beautiful notion in that way. Yeah. Like her um, brother beating the shit out of her for, you know, being a slut, having sex with, I guess, one of his friends. Um, But then also like the one moment of bonding they had is when she beat the shit out of another girl. Like he's proud of her for that, but will actually beat the shit out of her for, you know, having sex with a guy mm-hmm. at that age. Um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things with that, Nick, like one that was really kind of hard to think about was towards the end when they're at the party and this, um, they're not at the party. She's with a new gang and this girl walks by and the guy grabs her arm, tells her she's like beautiful and she's obviously scared. Mm-hmm. Um, but our lead character, like, doesn't stand up for and she says like you need to thank him yeah Yeah, say thank you um and she's like you know at that moment was a part of that the problem Mm -hmm. um yeah i think i think that goes along with like her conversation with her roommate that i think happened earlier or, or right around there where she says like you know you're uh, you're one of his girls, even if you don't think you are, you know? So like the whole time is, uh, she kind of took this job thinking that she would work for this guy, but she's not going to be like all these other girls who she's not going to be the pro- a prostitute. She's not going to be a prostitute. She's not going to be his girl. Um, yeah. and then like that's the scene, uh, at the party that, uh, where, her roommate comes over and it's after her and her boyfriend have like that fight and he, and the boyfriend storms out 
and then her roommate comes over and like takes her hand and leads her over to the dance floor. And it's like this really beautiful like moment where, you know, you think the movie is going to go in, in this other direction where are they, they're building a, this relationship with her roommate and maybe that's going to turn into some kind of romantic relationship. And it's just like this long, beautiful scene of them slow dancing and then that guy comes in and it just like so quickly flips that scene on its head and it's just immediate heartbreak and like, mm-hmm. you know, alarm bells going off and you just, you want her to get the fuck out of there. And, uh, yeah, it was, that was a brilliant scene. Um, yeah, it was so it, tender and, and then so horrible. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I guess else? I yeah. had a question um, mm-hmm. for you guys. Uh, so <clears throat> the movie, I thought the opening of this movie was really great. Um, so it opens with in surprisingly uh, an American football ma- match, which I assume was like a, a practice scrimmage um, at their school, not like a real game. Um, but it starts out with an American football match and then they, you know, they're all like cheering together and like hugging each other uh, at the end of the match. But then all the girls leave this practice and, you know, they're in a big group walking away from from the from the school or wherever they were playing. And as they're walking, they the they kind of start getting harassed by some men, like a group of men, I assume, like the same men who were towards the end of the movie that she was working with. Um, but so they, they start walking away and then as they're walking, the group of girls slowly, uh, uh, break apart into smaller groups. So like the first time half the group leaves and goes off in a different direction. And then another half of the group leaves and goes off in another direction. And then another one or two goes off in another direction until like slowly, but surely by the time the protagonist gets home, which at, at, at that point you actually don't know who the the main character is because you've just seen this group of, of girls um, to the point where she gets to her house and there's two girls and one of them, they say, all right, see you later. And one of them goes off and you're left with the protagonist all alone. Um, I was wondering what, if you guys had any, any thoughts on how that ties into the rest of the movie and, and also if, if you had any insight into like why they chose it to be an American football match uh, whereas like the rest of the movie, she's like playing yeah. soccer on, on her Xbox. And I think she, there's, there's a few soccer games that she watches. And, I don't, yeah. The soccer kind of just interesting. saw it okay. as like a retroactively, um, um, like just being another instance of her trying to fit in with people. And that, that scene like just shows everyone kind of get peeled away until she's left in her kind of run down every area of the town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's. I just kind of. I think it just kind of furthered that feeling of isolation that she has from everybody else until she gets the group, you know. And like showing the dominance of like the men in her, you know, neighborhood that they yeah. kind of you know rule outside, and it they all had to shut up and be quiet and try not to get harassed by them as they were walking through to just to get to their home finally and. That's what I was thinking too, Brandon. Yeah. Like that's what I remember most about that scene was how much fun they were having until they walked up to the boys and then they yeah. were silent. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, as far as you know, American football. I don't know. Like it could easily have been soccer, but uh, I guess I don't know. Maybe she just wanted to show you know a tougher sport. I guess I don't know. Not sure. Yeah, it could be. Man, or that freaking is there something about America? Yeah, I don't know. And he was, yeah, I don't know. I definitely feel it's like a, just another example of her doing things that aren't necessarily for her, but she's trying to fit in with someone. Mm. You know, she's not into football necessarily. We see she likes soccer, but yeah, she's playing football to, to be oh, with these people. Yeah, I like that, Derek. I like that. Um, Maybe there's some kind of culture around uh, American football, like in Paris or outside of Paris that, you know, we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also, like w- the only other reference to America was there was a girl with a very prominent American flag shirt. And uh, I didn't notice that. She was mm-hmm. like just kind of randomly one of the dancers. There was like three dancers at one point. I kind of forget the context of the scene, but. That dance off in Paris, yeah, yeah. before they yeah, she yeah, finds her sure. sister. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that has any significance, but the connection between the two. You never really see a French flag or anything, so. Yeah, Brandon, you mentioned the music in this movie. Mm-hmm. I've, like, added the soundtrack to my Spotify, like, homepage. The <laughs> like, one song. Well, the, just that, there's that song, but even just the, the, the score for the rest of the movie. Oh, cool. It's like it's just such a cool sound. I, yeah. I I loved loved it. That first song definitely like like before the even anything's on screen, that song starts playing. It's like doing the studios and stuff, telling the studios. And it was like already starting to like <laughs> really get into it, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it That's ends. So cool. It ends on that synth as well. Yeah, yeah. Up. She's making her final decision. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Any quick thoughts on her final decision? Like, you know, she, I, she didn't go to her family, but yeah, she honestly, also had a stern look on her face. I thought about this for a while. And I mean, I still don't have a full, like, it kind of took me a little while to like kind of grasp it. Cause I did want her to go back to her family. Cause I thought she had a real connection with her sister. And I thought based on her experience, she might be able to like, you know, kind of build a better life with her family. But the more I think about it, I actually like, I'm glad that she left. And I think like if she, it kind of gave me the impression that she could go anywhere at that point and be anyone. Um, Maybe she, she left now the right way instead of the yeah. wrong way yeah. like she well, did before. Also, I think a lot of the movie is her not willing to accept a role that is put upon her. I think like, you know, at first it's, it's kind of her just being this shy girl. And then, so she, she rejects that role. And then she's like in this gang with girl, with these girls. And, and she, you know, doesn't want to, she, she sees the, the, the girl of the group that she replaced that had, uh, got pregnant and had a baby and, yeah. and she saw like where that was kind of leading. And so she kind of rejects that role. She also like goes to work with her mom and then she could very easily live that life. Like any of these lives she she could live and, uh, but she's just rejecting all the roles. And even like when her boyfriend proposes to her and asks her right. to marry, um, marry him and she rejects that. And then like, she could have been one of her boss's girls, you know, like she could have chosen 
that to that that is an okay role for her to to be in and she anyways she always rejected any role that was put on her because that's not who she was that's not who she wanted to be and then like at the end it was she could have gone back to her family and and accepted that to be her role like so, you, know, I, you know, I don't know what that would have to now like. be the confident, slightly more responsible, well knowing well, about even, the world. I don't even know about mentor. that. Just kind of going back to, I saw it more as going back to what she she was before. You know, she she didn't really okay. at that point she didn't have any other options, so she was going back home to because she needed a place to live. Like she didn't have anywhere else to go. Yeah, I and guess she. So be she was kind of was going home almost in a way accepting that role for herself and saying that's okay for me to live that role but then ultimately rejecting that even though there was never throughout her entire the entire movie there was no other good or better option than what was you know than than those situations that she was in like but yet she always rejected the roles that were that were put upon her. That's, that's my kind of thing. She wanted to make her own life and, uh, didn't want to take anyone else's what they expected of her. Mm -hmm. I think that's why at the end she did what she did because she had to do something totally for herself. Weird. Um, anything, anything else guys? I mean, Brandon, it was great pick, you know, uh, good movie choices, total, total quality. And, uh, I'm glad you chose it. Um, this is my favorite. This is my favorite Brandon pick so far. Oh, nice! Ooh. I'd still go That's with probably- Mustang. Actually, like of everything that Brandon, all these foreign films. I think, like even back to the Great Leviathan Lee and Leviathan, I'd probably go with Mustang. I really liked Mustang. Okay, cool. Good pick Brandon. Well, uh, yeah, good pick good Brandon. Uh, that was Girlhood. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll go to mine real quick and, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, so my pick was, uh, a film called, uh, La Samurai and it's a French film. Uh, real quick, I'm going to pull up the summary on Letterboxd. Um, in a career defining performance, Alien Delton plays Jeff Costello, a contract killer with samurai instincts. After carrying out a flawless planned hit, Jeff finds himself caught between a persistent police investigator and a ruthless employer, and not even his armor, a fedora, and trench coat can protect him. I mean, that's kind of a weird uh, summary. I, like, uh, <laughs> I wonder what the IMDb one says. That sounds like it was like pulled from Wikipedia or something. But. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love this movie. I saw it a few years back and you guys know, like I'm really into film noir. Um, I love that genre. And, um, I especially, I also love like, uh, how noir has progressed, uh, since, since it's heyday. And this movie came out in the sixties and it's French. So this was like a, um, like a French neo-noir and it's obviously it's in color. It's not on black and white, but it still has a lot of noir, um, tendencies. Um, I, his, his whole outfit and, uh, apartment are kind of akin to this, uh, other movie that came out in the forties called this gun for hire. Um, the whole trench coat and fedora thing is totally a noir thing. And, 
um, I feel like a lot of characters are wearing trench coats and stuff, which uh, is kind of out of place for uh, like French type stuff. Like this movie kind of feels like it's not necessarily even really in this world. Um, but for me, at least, it was the first time I saw this movie. Within minutes, I knew that I loved it. Like just everything about it was just kind of screaming, like this is what I want from a movie. Just uh, it's just so cool. Like everything about how he looks, how the vibe is, the um, the sets are really creative. They go to that bar, and the bar is like really interesting. I want to hang uh, at that bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like. The camera work is really fascinating um and it all seems like effortless in this movie um i love how the main character how he's set up how he's he he seems like such an expert uh like the way he he steals a car in the opening in the opening scene and he uh he does it so casually and he has such a cool about it and it's it's sort of arrogant but uh, it feels like it's like deserved. Like he is an expert at what he's doing, and uh, then uh, and then like the plot of the movie happens. Like he gets kind of he gets seen when he's doing a hit, and uh, the police kind of have a whole side of this movie. I feel like the police are kind of what keep a lot of the plot going in the movie, where they're they're trying to get him and trying to trying to pin him. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I just this is just a movie that I always thought was just immediately yes, this is what I want from a movie, and I just I wanted to share it with you guys. So um, I have a couple other things I want to bring up, but first I want to get your guys' takes. So um, what do you think, mm-hmm. Nick? This film is incredible. It's like it's perfect. <laughs> So perfect. And I remember I, I kind of said this after finding out Moonlight only cost $2 million to make. But <laughs> this movie made in like France in the 60s, it's like, how are people still making bad films like 50 years later when this film is like so clean so and crisp and simple and flawless? It's got to make a simple movie well. <laughs> Tell it well. So simple well story. Done. Tell it well. And they did it. You said the word effortless, Nick. Like this movie is effortlessly doing that back then in the 60s with what they knew then. And yeah, it is so fun and tight to watch. The police investigation is just kind of like a, it's just part process and you're just watching it happen, but it's like tense and entertaining while it's going through. And the lead is just so slick and cool. Um, the score, which I kind of related to girlhood, it's just this one synth. I didn't even know they had like synth sounds in the mid sixties. Like when was the first electronic instrument even made? I don't know. This had to have been like one of the earliest synth usages in film. Um, I would be interested to look that up, but like that, just that sound, like was yeah. just kept coming back and was so beautiful I, and worked uh, so well with the movie. I have the I have the Criterion Collection Blu-ray for this one too, and uh, after I got done watching it, I, like I left the credits on that, and, like I walked to the other side of the room and started doing something else, and then went back to the main menu and just that song, like one of the songs of the movie, just was basically playing in the menu, and I just left it on for like. Half hour, 40 minutes. I just <laughs> enjoyed hearing it, you know? Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. Um, I also loved the, like, 
Oh, we'll come back. Let's come back to the ending because that's like all of the questions. Um, I wanted to say, like, you were talking about the process. Like, I loved that scene where uh, they rounded up all like the usual suspects and mm-hmm. like basically like narrowed it down to who it possibly could have been. And then they had that scene where they switched everyone's coats and hats. And then they it's on the, the fly guy. too. You know, he's yeah. like smart and just thinking this through. Like, this isn't typical of them. Yeah, totally. And uh, then they have the guy who um, was uh, basically like paying for the apartment for the guy that the main character is sleeping with. And he's like set up. And I think that guy thinks that he is maybe uh, identifying him like to have him get caught. You know, I think he knows that this girl's sleeping with this guy and I think he wants to get him caught. You know, he he makes this comment that he's not very observant, but then he, like he's he like points out like I recognize uh, that hat, that coat, and that guy's face. So specific. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, imagine if you were observant. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. So um, there was one thing I wanted to read to you guys, if you didn't, if you didn't mind. Um, like with Criterion, they come with uh, like booklets. So mm-hmm. they, there's like essays that are inside of it. And this one has an essay that's called uh, Death in White Gloves by David Thompson. And just this one section where it says, uh, what is a samurai? And I just think it's kind of an interesting idea to, that we should think about because um, you know, the movie is called The Samurai. And usually that's like Japanese culture. And this is very noir and it's about hitman. So like, why is it called La Samurai? What is a samurai? When he wears a fedora as crisp as gl- as glass and a pale trench coat that could have been sculpted by a Ranscuti, I don't know what that is, he is doomed. He is an icon out of his time. He is a hired killer, yet he is the last emblem of, of honor in a shabby world of compromise. He is a man who believes in tiny adjustments to the perfect shadow cast by the brim of his hat, who exults in the flatness with which he can utter a line, and who aspires to the last lovely funeral of brushes on a drummer's, on a drummer's symbol. His essence is in timing, gesture, and glance. And he is as close to the eternal spirit of the poet. I just thought that was like super beautiful and kind of like paints, you know, how he's like a samurai. Nice. Oh. Um, yeah. So, you know, this movie actually really reminded me of Heat in a lot of ways. Like, I actually just recently watched Heat for the first time and. It's like the the cat and mouse uh, aspect of the of the movie, you know, following both the the uh, bad guy or in this case the the protagonist, uh, and as well as the cops chasing him and and the you know the detective chasing after him, um, and both of them kind of not being these not being great people, both of them being pretty shitty people, uh, and yet you're definitely kind of rooting for the, the this contract killer this guy who just kills without asking questions um uh yeah i thought that was a, a really interesting connection i wonder how much it was influenced by this movie well, i feel um, like Heat's also kind of a noir in some ways yeah. you know like like crime you know crime movies kind of turn into you know especially in like the 80s and 90s kind of turn into 
they pull a lot from classic noir in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, that whole aspect, I think, is you mentioned, is pretty interesting because the cops in this movie do a fair amount of shady things. Yeah, like putting the the ca- the microphone in his room. It's like you know that is against the law, uh-huh. um, but they're trying to get him. So and uh, you know harassing the the um, woman who claimed that he was at her apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. I like yeah. Yeah, I like that comparison a lot, Sean. I'm like, this movie's really cool. Um, I mean, it's just cool in general. It's a really awesome pick. But, uh, you know, my number one movie of the last decade was Drive. And it's like one of my, like, it's one of those, like, mind-blowing experiences for me, um, film-wise, that's just like dug so deep into my love for film and like all the things I love about it are like really expressed in that movie. And so it's really cool to see all these different things that are very obvious inspirations for that, that movie and that kind of genre that it exists in, which, uh, you know, a lot of people consider that movie as a noir or a neo noir. And, um, and this movie very much is as well. And uh, that's just an interesting comparison. And then you brought up Heat. Um, I've just been reading a bunch about how um, Michael Mann, like there's also like a subgenre of there's like noir, there's neo-noir. And then there's an even smaller subgenre that's uh, that people call like a neon noir. Hmm. And uh, they say that Michael Mann was like the kind of the pioneer of that. Shit, dude. Manhunter. Totally. Like, yeah, Manhunter. Manhunter is a neon noir. I get yeah. it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so that's Never just kind of that funny before. that you brought that up. It's like a direct link. And um, yeah, that's just, I don't know. It's, it's cool. It's it's so awesome to see like, and I'm sure it even goes back further than this movie, but it's just fun to see like kind of, like I can see the direct line from this movie to drive. Like I can see it. There's so much there. There's so much like the main character, the plot, the, the how everything evolves. The there's Ryan just Gosling definitely has a similar vibe uh-huh. as oh, the sure. main character in this movie. Yeah. He's just like a nameless like character. That's and like, like I mean, he's very he has a name look. in this, but yeah, distinct but slick look. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think happened? at the end um why why didn't you know why didn't he kill her what what was going on there he he obviously was never intending i think he was never intending to kill her he knew that she would be she was being watched and he i don't know why he chose it but i i'm pretty sure he went in there to to commit suicide like to Mm -hmm. be killed um, by the people watching her. I don't, maybe he was giving up. Maybe he thought that there was no way he would be able to get out uh, of it with uh, all the people that were after him. And, um, do you think something was going to happen to her? And he thought that was like the well, best she, way. To she was in on name. it, which is right. why she wanted her boss killed. Right. Which is why she was protecting him. Oh, I thought she was. Yeah. Hired by about? the gangsters to cover up 
Oh, hmm. Maybe maybe you're right. Actually, so wasn't she? Didn't so he went? No, no, no. Okay, so so he went to her because he wanted to get in touch with the people who hired him, right? So he figured that because she covered up for him, she didn't identify him, that she must be in contact with the people who hired him mm-hmm. and because they hired her to help cover up the, oh. the killing. Well, Nick, you've seen it a few times. Yeah. This is my second time. What's so, going on um, here? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think you're you're kind of getting close to it, Sean. I'm not totally sure myself a little bit, but I think the other girl was tied in there a little bit, too. I mean, I think he did care about her as well, and the police were after her, and um, I think he kind of wanted to help let her off the hook, too. Hmm. Um, but... I don't know. I appreciate the ambiguous ending. And, yeah. uh, yeah. Cause like second viewing, know, I, finding I more information. Like the first time I saw it, I was pretty just sure that he was kind of like trying to intimidate her maybe and try to get her. Um, but, but yeah, no, that's not what happened. So, <laughs> um, but again, yeah, I appreciate the complex and ambiguous ending that demands a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I would love to talk about this movie on and on and on, but, uh, <laughs> I think that we should wrap this up, um, mm-hmm. just yeah. cause, uh, we're, we've been doing this for almost, uh, hour 15, hour 20, hour 30. So, um, yeah. but man, this has been fun. You know, I, I really love, uh, talking about these movies with you guys. Um, you know, as I said, at the top of the show, um, I don't know any movies that are coming out in July. I'm sure there's going to be a few indies and I'm still catching up on a few indies that are already out, but, um, you know, nothing big to the point where, um, I think we need to cover them. Like even like the five bloods, like I knew was coming out like last month and it was like, Hey, let's pay attention to this. Like, I, I don't, do you guys know of anything that's coming out in, in July that you're looking forward to specifically? No. Uh, oh, that one Hamilton, movie, the Andy Samberg on movie is Plus. coming out. Oh yeah, that movie. I'm really excited about that movie. That looks right. great. That looks Andy so much. Sandberg. Uh, it's gonna be uh, on Palm Hulu. Springs. It's Palm Springs. Yeah. yeah. It's like Groundhog's um, Day, but uh, with oh, yeah, party okay, and, ground, okay. and ground and Palm Springs. I want to see the Train to Busan sequel comes out this month too. No way. That's yeah. coming out. Yeah. Like, and we can watch it. <laughs> I assume so. I don't know if, if it's like going, where it's going, yeah. but it's it's scheduled to come out in July. Anyway, July. so we're gonna do the same thing next month, where we all pick the movie and we're gonna force each other to watch it. So um, let's real quick uh, talk about the movies that we're gonna force each other to watch. So, uh, Sean, uh, what's your pick? Um. I am going to pick. I kind of went back and forth. I think this time the the movie, the other movie that I might pick for next time is a movie that Nick has seen. But I kind of want to get get uh, give Nick a movie that he hasn't seen yet. So I'm right. gonna go with Yojimbo. Ooh, All right. Do another Kurosawa. Uh, yes. Kind of ties into my Western Kurosawa stuff cow. too. Because this is the movie that, in a lot of ways, 
birthed the spaghetti western. Um, Fistful right. of Dollars is is a direct ripoff of this movie. Uh, oh, cool! So yeah, cool. I'm so excited about this one. Oh yeah, this is this is on my list. Uh, like for the year, like I have a I have a list going of movies that I'm trying to. It's like th- it's called Thirty by Four, and it's like I've chosen thirty movies by. Um, for four decades and yeah this movie is on there and I'm, I've been like eyeing it like I can't wait to watch it so awesome pick Sean so excited Yo Jimbo right Yo Jimbo. Yo Jimbo. Yo Jimbo. Um, Brandon what's yeah. your pick so this is a little different for me I think you guys will like this I went a little older for the first time found a movie nobody's seen um so this is a film called 1966 film called who's afraid of Virginia Wolf. Ah. And it's a very famous play, like one of the most acclaimed plays of all time. And I've seen it on Broadway once. Um, film stalling Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton has a 4.1 on letterbox. It is, I, it's so good. And I'm so excited for you guys to watch it. Um, but when you go into it, you guys gotta know it's, it's a play. It's a play play. So you get that rhythm that comes along with the play. Brandon, you tried to like get the to... movies a play. No, it's it really is a, it's the script on... is from a play. It's like was done on oh, stage yeah. before this and it's that script. So, so go in knowing, you know, it's dialogue. Yeah. So Brandon, have you seen this movie or have you just seen the play? No, I saw it after I saw the play. I saw the movie Brandon, because the movie, it's one of the most acclaimed like adaptations of a Broadway thing ever. You totally. tried to get me to watch this um, movie a long time ago, and I think I watched mm-hmm. maybe the first five minutes. And then uh, <laughs> I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not what I did. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, Brandon, this is actually on that same list I just mentioned. I made on my 30 by 4 list. So oh, uh, shit. I've definitely been, yeah, I've definitely been mean to watch this <laughs> one too. And awesome. uh, Shan watched this earlier this year, actually. And, uh, it's very intense. I didn't watch it with her, but I kind of was like peeking over. It was like, yeah. So on brand still, but um, cool. I'm also older. So, and, and American and not foreign. So mm-hmm. um, I'm very excited for this one too. Great pick, Brandon. Uh, mm-hmm. it's you can, be, Nick, you can uh, do the French dub and put the English subtitles on it if you want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to make it more of a random film. Yeah, I don't know if it, it used it used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it still is, but it was on Netflix earlier this year. Um, cool, Derek. Uh, what's your pick? All right, so I get really excited when Sean mentioned Heat because this is um, from what I've been reading about, like neon noir and stuff. This is what people consider like the birthplace of it, which is uh, Michael Mann's very first film, uh, Thief. Mm-hmm. And I saw none of us have seen it. So, what? Yeah, this is not even so you? cool. I'm so excited. Yeah. This, like, this has been like a movie I've been wanting to see forever. Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's wow. so cool, Derek. I'm so excited. There's like, oh, wow. Um, Michael Mann's such a famous director. And I know you're a big fan of his, but like Thief, and there's a few others that like, I don't know. I'm missing a few key Michael Mann movies in my yeah. filmography, and uh, yeah, some of them are Neon kind of hard to find, and this is one of them. So, yeah, nice. um, yeah. I've, yeah, I'm very lacking in my Michael Mann as well. 
Amazon Prime Video free watch. There we go. Easy. All right. For fees? Yep. Yes. Oh, nice. Just like last so week, it, it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't Derek free. Derek is killing it with his pick. That must be really. Gosh, I'm so I'm so excited for all these movies. Great picks. Yeah, guys. this is a really Great good month. What do you got for us, Nick? Oh, yeah. oh boy, you guys are in for it. <laughs> oh no. Um, yeah. Um. Um. Yeah. I. Uh, I'm definitely huh? weirdest. It's it's gonna be a weird ride for you guys. <laughs> huh? So I picked a 1968 Burt Lancaster film uh, called The Swimmer. Um. <laughs> Uh, oh so, no, Nick! This so, uh, yeah, dude. Uh, the swimmer is notorious oh. for how outrageous the trailer is. It's one of the weirdest trailers of all time. It's the trailer is hilarious, and the movie is also hilarious. The movie is like an absurdist, like you know, late sixties absurdist movie that um, has a lot going on in it, but. Um, uh, it has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomato. <laughs> I mean, it's a perfect I, I, film. I was, yeah. I mean, when I watched it because um, the trailer was so funny, and I actually thought it was a fantastic movie. So I was like, I was shocked at how great of a movie it actually was, uh, in my opinion. So I mean, I hope you guys like it. It's super weird. Um, you three picked classics and I picked like a uh, bizarro absurdist film. So um, I feel like you shared like your a while back, like years ago, you were just like, you guys have to watch this trailer. And I've just mm -hmm. seen the trailer for it. Yeah, I remember Probably. that on the text there. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Yeah. Cool, guys. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, those are our four picks. Uh, good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, and if you want to play along uh, for next month, yeah, we're going to watch you, Jimbo, uh, Thief, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, and The Swimmer. So um, I'm excited. Uh, thanks for doing this, guys. It was super fun talking movies with you. And uh, I hope you have a good uh, good month of movie watching. Yeah. Bye. So, See ya. Sweet. Bye.